This, friends, is little Boaz. He is just over two weeks old. I know, buddy, it's so bright. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Sorry, guys, you're going to have to look at my back a little bit. This little guy, are you kidding me? Do you know how long it's been since I've held a newborn? My youngest child is 14 now, so it's been at 14 years since I've held one of my own little newborns. And oh, do you remember the smell of newborn baby skin? I'm going to try not to get too creepy here, but it's not my, this is not my son. But amazing. I mean, anytime that you're looking at such a little tiny baby like this, just their little eyes and rosy little cheeks, tiny little lips, and then when they grab your finger, you know what I'm talking about? They're tiny little fingernails, and you're just like, oh, I just want to, toes. I like, okay, now I'm going to probably sound creepy, but I'm sorry. Those little baby toes, do you not just want to, like, snack on them? Like, right? You do. I know you do, just like I do. You just want to squeeze these little guys. But of course we don't. In fact, we take unbelievable care of these little ones because they're so dependent on us, dependent on us for everything. We make sure to cuddle them and coddle them and feed them and support their necks because their big old heads just can't even hold up without some help, right? It's what we do for babies. They're completely vulnerable. They need their parents, other loving adults in their lives that are going to care for them and protect them and make sure that they're safe. I can only imagine how Mary and Joseph must have felt in those first few hours, days, weeks. Joseph was holding the one who had created all of the world and yet was now so vulnerable dependent on him to make sure that he was protected and safe. Uh, have you ever seen somebody pass a little newborn to someone else to hold them? It takes like five minutes to do that, right? Because we're so cautious and careful. I know that Mary and Joseph must have been feeling the exact same way. And as little Boaz sleeps in my arms, as I hand him back over to his dad, going to give very quiet snaps as a thank you. I, uh, I remember uh, when my firstborn uh, first came into the world and holding him. And uh, two and a half days later, uh, they came and said, okay. Good luck. And I'm thinking to myself, are these people insane? Like, they're literally going to let me take this real, live, human baby home 
by myself, all right? To get my driver's license, I had like weeks of class and like tons of hours, and then they still only gave me a permit, right? Like I had to drive. Was, this was a real-life baby, and they were going to just let me take this thing home from the hospital? I was feeling a little like overwhelmed by that reality, and I know Mary and Joseph had to have been feeling the same thing too. Baby Jesus was dependent on them, completely vulnerable, and, and this wasn't just theoretical. For the last uh, three weeks during a, the season of Advent, we've kind of been camping out in Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up there. We've stayed in one small section talking about the gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus. I'd like to continue the story. We're finally going to get past verse 12 today to see that the vulnerability that Jesus had was not simply theoretical. Now, be before we get into that, let's just kind of catch ourselves up, regain some context. Jesus is born in a small little village outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. And there were some wise men or magi, sometimes we call them the three kings, okay, that came from the east. Now, we learned a couple of things about these three kings. Number one, probably wasn't three. And number two, they weren't kings, okay? But they were uh, wise men or magi from the east. We think maybe Persia or Babylon. They had seen a special star that they had never seen before. Now, the best way to describe uh, these individuals is they probably carried um, uh, kind of a position uh, like a scientist of the ancient world slash a religious leader slash uh, statesman. They were incredibly uh, powerful, uh, wealthy, important individuals. They had seen this uh, amazing astrological sign and realized that a king had been born in Judea and so they make plans to create this huge trip, probably taking them about two months to get to Jesus. They brought some incredible gifts to him. But when they get there, they're, they're still kind of looking for where the star is going to end. Uh, King Herod hears about them. This is a big deal that these guys have come from so far away. And so King Herod, who is the king of Israel at the time, uh, but the Israelites don't really like him very much. Uh, he's a puppet king for Rome. Rome rules over them. King Herod calls these men to him and says, uh, why are you here? And they say, we've come to worship the king that's been born. Herod's like, well, I'm the king, and I was born a long time ago, so who are you talking about? And find out that it's probably been born in Bethlehem. At least that's what the prophecy said. So he tells them, go find this king. I want to worship him too. That, that's kind of our background. Let's jump in. We'll start in verse 7. It says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from him the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Spoiler alert, Herod is not interesting in worshiping Jesus. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these men travel, these important, powerful, wealthy, they travel for months to come and find this king that's been born. And when they find him, they bow down and worship him. And then they give him gifts. Each one of the gifts would have had real practical value because they were very expensive gifts. But they also had incredible symbolic value. That's what we've been learning over the last few weeks. Gold symbolized Jesus' kingship. Gold is what you give to a king. He was the king of the universe. Not only that, but frankincense uh, was something that was burned as incense, as worship to God. And it shows that Jesus was the high priest. He was the one who would uh, be burning the incense, the high priest. The high priest was also the one who would offer a sacrifice so that the people could be forgiven and redeemed. Jesus is going to sacrifice, lay down his own life so that we could have a relationship with God. That's what the priest does. And myrrh was the last one. And we learned this last week from Austin that uh, myrrh was also something uh, that symbolized Jesus as the prophet, the one who would hold both sorrow and hope as he spoke the truth to the people to guide them towards what was right and how they could be in right relationship with God. That's the three titles that Jesus held, uh, uh, held and holds, prophet, priest, and king. Each one of those gifts symbolized that. Beautiful, amazing story, but the story's about to take a really tragic scary, awful turn. It says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Verse 13, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Isaiah, or excuse me, Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Talk about vulnerability. If Joseph didn't act on the instructions of that angel that night, Jesus would have been killed as a baby by the evil King Herod. King Herod was known for doing some pretty treacherous, crazy, terrible things. He had a couple of his own sons killed. He was incredibly paranoid, had one of his wives, at least one of his wives killed, had his brother-in-law whom he, whom he had made high priest. He was afraid that he was starting to take some power from him, and so he invited him to the... Uh, palace and then drowned him in the palace pool. Uh, this was the kind of king that Herod was. 
And now he comes and he kills all the male boys two years and under in this area. Jesus had to flee. But Jesus couldn't walk. Couldn't run. Didn't know where to go. He needed someone to guide him, to protect him, to care for him. It was incredibly vulnerable. And it got me to start thinking, why did God come to us in such a vulnerable way? Like, like, like that's not how I would have done it. I mean, babies need everything done for them. They need to be cared for and fed and need to be parented and watched after and led to where they need to go. Why would God come to us in such a vulnerable state? If it was me, I would have showed up like in all my glory. Like I'm like, Jesus, why don't you just like show up and show off? Like let everybody know who you are. You know what I'm saying? I would have probably come when I was maybe like late 20s, early 30s after I'd been hitting the gym for a while. Like I'd be jacked, you know what I'm saying? White sash. All right, flowing hair. I'd be on a horse, all right? And that thing would be coming down out of heavens, and it would probably have, like, wings and fire. Like, coming, like, that's, I'd have angels, like, tons and tons of angels, all right? And they'd be even more stacked than me, and they'd have swords, and they'd probably even be, like, on fire a little bit just to, like, show off, all right? Like, that's how I would show up. And I'd let everybody know, like, yo, I'm God. <laughs> I'm here to rescue you, Okay? That's how I would have wanted to do it, but Jesus instead comes to us as a, as a baby. So small and humble, can't even hold his own head up. That to me is wild. And I started thinking like, okay, well, why didn't he? And there are some, there are some good answers. They're, they're not what I would initially have thought about, but... God comes to us weak and humble, gentle and lowly, vulnerable because of his great love. You see, if, if Jesus were to come totally with unveiled glory, the earth wouldn't have been able to stand it. Uh, there's a few times in scripture that God comes and interacts with humans and every single time, God has to hold back some of his glory. It's too much. Uh, this happens with Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses says, God, can I see you? And God says, no, because you'll die. But I will hold you in the cleft of a rock with my hand, and I will allow my glory to pass by you. So he's being shielded, and God passes by him, okay? He's being covered, so he can't get the full weight of the glory. And even after that, Moses comes back down off the mountain, and Moses is glowing. Now, we don't even know what this exactly means, but homeboy had an encounter that was so powerful and amazing that, like, his skin is still emanating with the glory, okay? In fact, just a little bit later, Israel is gathered around Mount Sinai because they're going to meet with God, and God comes down at the top of the mountain, and the people are at the base, and God begins to speak, and the people say to Moses, Moses, please tell God to stop speaking to us, or we will die. Now, I don't think this is hyperbole. I don't think the people are just like, oh, my skin's tingling. It feels weird. Like, I don't, I think literally their hearts were beating or something was happening that they could physically tell that if this continued on, they would not physically survive it. You can't experience all of God's full power 
and survive as a human. He's holy. We're sinful. We can't just be in that. We won't survive it. Uh, that's one of the reasons that I think Jesus comes as a helpless child, as a, as a baby, so, so vulnerable. But the other reason is also because if he had come and showed us everything that he was right off the bat, A, Herod would not have survived it. Couldn't have gone after him. Uh, people would not have been able to reject him. He would not have been able to live the life that you and I can't live. He would not have been crucified to die the death that you and I deserve to die, but he dies for us. It's not until afterwards that Jesus then resurrected begins to show us who God fully, wholly is. It's why we celebrate Christmas. The greatest gift ever given comes to us in a package we never would have expected. Um, when I was uh, growing up, I, I grew up in a pretty big family. Uh, I've got a picture. Uh, okay, so that's me on the top left. Yeah, that's what I look like with no hair, kind of. Um, on the far right is my uh, brother Dante, uh, right next to me. Um, so I don't know how this happened. I was just talking to my sister about it uh, the other day. We we're, were trying to remember, like, something happened at some point. We think it was because my sister said something once about she was getting the big gift that year, okay? Uh, which by all she meant was that like, the biggest gift was going to be hers. Not that it was like the best gift, it was just the big, the big gift. And so my brother was young, he assumed that the big gift meant best gift, and it meant that it was the largest package, all right? And so every year he kept hoping he was finally going to be the one to get the big gift, okay? He every year would come and he would see the tree and see the gifts, and every year it would go to a different sibling. He never got it. He was always like, how come mom and dad don't love me? They keep giving all the big gifts, quote unquote, to my brothers and sisters. I never get it. Dante was in high school, about ready to graduate, when one Christmas he finally realized the big gift <laughs> is not the largest gift or the best gift. Uh, in fact, I've got another picture of us uh, because we started making fun of him. And so uh, this is after I was married. Uh, my sister Dana's in green. She was in college. Dante was actually, I think, a senior in high school here. And look at the gift uh, between Brenda and my sister. Do you see how big that box is? It's almost the size of the Christmas tree. Uh, for the next few years, we would wrap a massive box just for Dante so that he would feel like he's actually getting the big gift this Christmas. <laughs> I think way too many of us though, miss the best gift because we're looking for the big gift. We're, we're looking for the gift that seems to make the most sense to, to everybody else. It like shows like, oh, I finally made it. I've arrived. I've gotten it. Like it's, this is the thing that I really, really thought that I needed or wanted. And yet Jesus doesn't come to us in that way. He doesn't come on a flaming horse with angels, swords, it's full glory. He comes as a baby in a podunk little town 
to some no-name mom and dad. They're not famous or powerful or wealthy. To a small little faraway part of the Roman Empire, not even like in a big powerful city, like Jesus comes, the God of the universe, in such a humble and vulnerable way. The Apostle Paul, who also had an experience uh, with Jesus, Jesus uh, actually met him. His name was Saul at the time, and he kind of hated Jesus' people. He was persecuting them and throwing them in jail and having them killed. And Jesus gave Paul a quick glimpse of his unveiled glory. Happened in a second, like a flashbulb went off. Jesus flashed just that instant flashbulb of God's unveiled glory knocked Saul to the ground and blinded him. It wasn't until a few days later that he regained his sight. And he goes on to be one of the greatest evangelists for this Jesus that the world has probably ever known. And he says this in one of his letters to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2. He talks about the type of God Jesus is. He says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, even though he was God, fully God, total God, all the power of God, could have come down on a flaming horse with a bunch of angels, he doesn't use that for his own advantage. Instead, he says... He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You want to know why Jesus came to us so vulnerable and helpless? It was because God is love. If he came in all of his glory, we would have no choice. We would have to recognize who he is. We wouldn't have any choice in the matter, but God's never forced anyone to love him. Jesus never demands our love. Rather, he always demonstrates his own. It's who he is. It's what he's always done. He never demands that you love him. He simply shows you how much he loves you. In fact, Jesus said himself in Matthew 20, that he did not come to be served. Rather, he came to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. That's crazy. That is not at all how I would have done it. The God of the universe comes to us dependent and vulnerable. Man, I'd be showing off. God wanted us to understand that he is not only love in human form, but he wants us to love him in return on our own volition. The struggle is, is life. <laughs> I think way too many of us are actually 
missing the best gift because we're chasing that big gift kind of a life. Man, and I fall into this way too often, even myself. I can find myself running after all these other things and, and missing out on what is actually best in, in my own life. And I'm a pastor. Like, I ought to know better. But that's why I love this season. That's why I love Christmas time. Because it's in this season that I'm forced to, to ask myself the question, what gift am I running after? Is it the gift that I wouldn't expect that has the actual ability to transform my life? Or is it some big gift that I keep chasing out there that promises to fulfill me and show me who I am, give me identity, but every single time keeps falling short? That's really the question that I think every single one of us has to wrestle with at Christmas time. I, I sometimes fall victim to this. But what I've learned over the past 50 years, almost 50 years, is that when I come to God, he's neither impressed by how big my life looks from the outside, nor is he repulsed by how broken and messed up it actually is when the wrapping paper is removed. And that's a God that I want to follow. That's a God that I want to give my life to. That's a God who comes as a baby, helpless and vulnerable, to prove his love for me. Um, we were talking about this message, and uh, our pastoral resident, Carly, she came up with uh, these three ways that this is good news, that a vulnerable baby would be born. And, and I was like, man, Carly, I love that. And so I want to share those with you. She's She'd said it this way. She said, what good news it is in a world where so many people are frantically trying to make a name for themselves that Jesus came as a lowly king. He didn't come to prove his worth. He came to prove his love. What good news it is in a world where the most powerful often use their authority to serve themselves and hold it over others that Jesus came as a humble king. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. What good news it is in a world where people are praised for their independence and shamed for their neediness that Jesus is a gentle king. He isn't repulsed by your need. He is graciously drawn to it. Do you know that there's only one place in all of Scripture where Jesus tells us what his heart is like? It's in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And this is where he tells us. He says, for I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart. That's what his heart is like. It is gentle and lowly. Gentle and humble. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, that's the heart of Jesus, where he's gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. He doesn't fly off the handle when we mess up, when we make mistakes. No, he's gentle with us. He, he knows who we are. He comes to us in kindness and care because that's who he is. Uh, Jesus is lowly. That's his very heart, humble. He knows how broken we are. 
He's not repulsed by our mess. In fact, he is strangely drawn towards it because that is his very love, his very heart. It's why he was willing to come to earth as a little baby that we celebrate every December 25th, completely dependent and humble and vulnerable. He does it to prove his great love for us. So, friends, this Christmas, I don't want you to miss the best gift because we're chasing, hoping for, looking for the big gift. He comes to us as a little baby. Would you pray with me? Uh, as you have your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I, I want you to understand this, though. A gift has to be accepted, received, unwrapped, opened. Otherwise, it's not actually your gift. Just because somebody offers you a gift doesn't mean it's actually yours if you just leave it sitting under the tree. And so this morning, I'm just going to give us a minute to just sit with God. And, and if you've never received the gift of Christ, then man, today is an opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Just because maybe you, this is just one of the things on your schedule today. Maybe today is the day that God is speaking directly to your heart. Let him speak to you right now. Jesus, we don't want to be a people who simply hear about this awesome gift. We want to be a people who take that gift and unwrap it. Apply it to our lives. Uh, Jesus, you are the king. You are the priest, you are the prophet, you are the one who died in our place, and you rose back to life on the third day, and Jesus, we just say thank you. Father, thank you for giving us your son, by, by doing it in, in such a way that, that is just mind-boggling. You allow him to come as dependent and vulnerable, so that he can live the life that I never could perfectly. He could die so that I don't have to. Jesus, today, again, we receive the gift of your salvation, of your coming, and we can't wait for the day that you will return. Thank you for loving us so well, so humbly, so gently. We love you because you first loved us. It's in your name, dear Jesus, we pray.